Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Detour Life. Detour Life is a game changer for both family law professionals and clients alike. Detour Life is an innovative online program which guides clients to easily input and organize the exhaustive document and financial disclosure process and provides professionals with streamlined and secure case management. In addition, Detour Life has comprehensive client onboarding, a secure document repository, income and expense sync, parenting plan agreement features, and much more. I use Detour Life myself, and honestly, one of my favorite features, and one that my clients love as well, is that they can securely link all of their financial accounts directly to the Detour Life platform so that their information is automatically uploaded and updated as time goes on. So whether you're getting a divorce or are a divorce professional, I urge you to check it out yourself. Go to Detour Life, that's D-T-O-U-R dot L-I-F-E, and sign up for their free 14-day trial. Then use code SUSAN20 to get 20% off the cost of subscription. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. This is incredibly tough. It's like mourning a child who's still alive, but there is hope. And having hope and fighting for your kid does not always mean staying in a court case or hiring more lawyers. And for many parents, you can still fight for your kid. You can still reconnect with your kid and maybe the courts aren't available or they're not the best option. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I am Susan Guthrie, your host. And today we have a very important episode. It's going to be very important for many of you who are out there listening. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have a special guest to talk about the issue of, I'm going to call it here, parental alienation. We'll talk more about that. But I have Ginger Gentile joining us today. So I first would just like to thank you for making the time to join us um, and to share your experience and wisdom with my listeners. Thank you, Ginger. Thank you for having me, Susan. So Ginger, for my, for my listeners who do not know you, you are a filmmaker and you have created a very powerful film. In fact, I was just watching it again. Um, I watched it back a couple of months ago, um, but just wanted to go through the highlights again today. And to me, it's up there with um, another f- uh, film called Split that is a totally different film, but is there to help families going through the difficult time of divorce. And in many ways, yours is not just about divorce. It's about families that have divided. Um, And as the film is called, Erasing Families, it's about families that have been erased and parents that have been erased um, and siblings that have been erased. And largely that comes down to a, a situation that is in the popular vernacular called alienation. So we're, we're using that phrase, but as you and I have discussed, that's not the only, and perhaps not the appropriate term for it. 
Correct. So my film, A Racing Family, it came out in 2019 and now it's available on all platforms. You can watch it for free on YouTube. If you go to our website, racingfamily.org, you can watch it there. We have a ton of resources, including a free text line for parents and kids if they need to talk to a counselor for free and get some resources, emotional support. And what the film is about is how our modern family court system in the cases where parents cannot agree and get along, which is the minority, it's a big minority, estimates are between 10 to 20% of divorces, they don't resolve naturally. This adversarial system and trying to figure out who's the better parent pits parents against each other to try to win custody. It's very expensive for parents who have money and they can end up losing a lot of money. But for parents who don't have money, they can't access a lawyer. There's no free lawyer uh, because it's civil. And the family court system, it's overburdened in many places. I know in California, some judges might have 2,000 cases on their docket. And so a lot of these families go hoping that the court can solve this problem, solve the problem or say that they're the winner and the other parent is awful. And what they find are this can get worse. Um, There's a lot of biases there. There's also a lot of great professionals who often feel like they can help these families as much as they want, and they get kind of lost in the system. So one of the big things we look out for in these cases is that after divorce or separation, tensions worsen instead of resolving. The fighting gets worse. And sometimes even what starts off as an amicable divorce can unravel uh, a few years out. So I always tell parents, you kind of have five years where you really need to be on your best behavior because you don't know what can come up. One of the outcomes, one of the most unfortunate outcomes in these types of cases is when a loving parent, a fit parent loses contact with their kid. And oftentimes along with that parent, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, often siblings um, also lose contact. And there's a few terms for this. One of the most common in popular culture and one of the most searchable terms is parental alienation. Sometimes it's called refuse and resist when the child refuses or resists contact. Um, When a child gets older, it can be called sometimes estrangement. I love the term family bond obstruction. That's never caught on because I've never heard that one. (laughs) Yeah. The family bonds are always there, but they're being obstructed sometimes by a court professional, sometimes by another parent. It could also be a step parent. It could be a grandparent. And the other thing that I, I want to clarify for the listeners who maybe are following this issue out there is that we often focus on the kids who align with one parent and reject another. But there's also many kids who switch alignments constantly, which also isn't good. Um, even if the case is you know, cured in the end and now they have switched their alignment permanently with another parent. Or there's also kids, especially as they get older, and this is what happened to me, is they say, I don't want anything to do with either of my parents. This whole situation is crazy. I'm gone. I'm going to create my own family system. And people don't really talk about these these children enough. But whatever it is, what the film talks about is when a parent is fit, loving, had a good relationship before, not perfect. And also I remind people, no parent's perfect. And then after the divorce, that relationship is severely damaged or almost becomes non-existent. The bond is always there. You can never erase the bond. And we're always connected on some level, but it might mean you show up to visits and you're not allowed to see your child. 
you, you are allowed to see your child in the visit, but the child is incredibly mean to you, rude to you for no apparent reason, blames you for things using adult language, like you abandon us, um, you're not paying the child support, uh, why did you have an affair, you yeah. know, uh, lot, lots of things that maybe children shouldn't know about. Uh, they become parentified and pass back messages. And it could also sometimes mean that a child desperately wants to see a parent and has been told that other parent falsely doesn't want to see them or has been threatened. You see the other parent, you're out of the family, you, you, uh, you see the other parent or you say that you love them, you'll be punished. Or, and this is also something that we don't talk a lot about, but for older children, and I've seen that it's actually worse with teenagers than younger kids because younger kids, as long as there's some contact and there's a memory, they can't really lie very well. Right. But teenagers, if you tell a 16 year old, if you don't see your mom, I'm going to buy you a car. And in my house, there's no rules. There's no curfew and you can bring over wherever you want. And I will, I'll look the other way if there's alcohol. Teenagers, they don't have to be coerced or punished. They can just be like, wow, car no curfew, alcohol parties. That sounds like a good deal. And then they'll, they'll go along with the program. And they're, that's actually the toughest cases are the teenagers, not, not yeah. the five-year-olds. Because five-year-olds, they, they can be manipulated back and forth. The teenagers, they really believe that this is what is good for them, or it just becomes so stressful, they reject the parent. And the film Racing Family, we have families from all different backgrounds, uh, we have different ages of the kids and we see different effects that it has on them. But also we see how older children have reached out without the courts and there is an ability to reunite. So it's a tough film to get through, but it's also a hopeful film with happy endings. And I, I also, just before we get into the nitty gritty of this, for all the people listening who are going through this, this is incredibly tough. It's like mourning a child who's still alive, but there is hope. And having hope and fighting for your kid does not always mean staying in a court case or hiring more lawyers. And there tends to be this dichotomy of, I don't want to stop going to court because that means giving up on my kid. And the courts are one tool and sometimes it is the best tool to use. But for many parents, you can still fight for your kid. You can still reconnect with your kid and maybe the courts aren't available or they're not the best option. Right. I mean, I think it's a very important fact for people to understand because they think that the court is going to solve this problem. And unfortunately, I mean, the court system in general is not well suited to dealing with restructuring families. It's just to, to treat a family restructuring as a lawsuit is generally just makes no sense. Yes. We're treating the reorganization of how your family structure is going to work as if it's a rear ender accident. And, and it just does, it's never made sense. And, and I can say that as a family law attorney, who's been a part of that system for 32 years. And it's one of the reasons why I got out of litigation and only work through mediation with families or collaborative law outside of the court system. A real problem with, um, and, and this is somewhat seen in the film, I thought you did a beautiful job with it, is the fact that this the court system is really just ill-equipped to deal with these resist-refuse cases or, or estrangement cases or whatever we want to call it, high-conflict divorce cases. There's also, and I thought you touched on this well in the film, there's also sort of an industry, a cottage industry that's sort of built up around 
um, these high conflict cases because they require, in order to try and move through the court, it requires bringing in experts to discuss things and having evaluations done. And it becomes a battle of pocketbooks more than it becomes anything to do really with what's best for children or what's actually the dynamic of what's happening. I I totally agree. And also to just plug mediation and collaborative law, because I know a lot of parents listening have had bad experiences with mediation. A good mediator who knows how to deal with high conflict cases is very different than a mediator who doesn't. So, because I also know a lot of parents come to me and they say mediation was a fraud. It was a, it was a sham. And what the court system in, in, in general has to do is know when there are these high conflict cases give them a different treatment. And that doesn't necessarily mean a trial, but there are mediators who are excellent trained in this situation and who know that they can't say, well, let's just all figure it out. They have to really structure these cases, talk to people in a certain way to lower the height, to lower the conflict. And when parents are going through this, the more you can walk away from trying to win and be adversarial at any point in the game, the better the outcome. And also just even if you want to just be totally Machiavellian and strategic about this, if there's are a lot of people involved in your case, a lot of professionals, but you're the one who's always saying, let's try to find a solution. How can we work this out? How can we both be flexible? That will reflect well upon you. Uh, But otherwise people tend to get get into these cases and you never know how court case is going to end. Number one, it's like flipping a coin. They're very expensive. They take a very long time. And then I always warn parents, if a child in many states is 12 or 14, they can have a say. So all the other parent has to do is kind of delay this this system, this court case, and then they kind of win by default too. So to be very careful of that. And then the other thing, right when we're on with, with court, and parents then often, often tend to use this, even when me, they'll contact me as a filmmaker because I made a racing family and say, I want to tell you my case. And they have all this evidence of how they've been wronged. 95% of the cases where I talk to parents, I believe them. That's not the problem. Evidence doesn't solve this. That's the problem. Most of the courts, they don't want to look at the evidence. It's not actually permissible. It's too much evidence. But also, it's you're always trying to prove what the other person is saying is false instead of focusing on how to improve the perhaps very limited contact you have with your child. And also to identify what are the dynamics there, because I've also talked to a ton of parents who they were married before and this is their second time they've been alienated. They were alienated as kids. Um, the ex was alienated as a child. So there's a lot of unconscious behaviors And there's also this tendency with people who are going through this, and I understand why, and I I say this with a lot of compassion, say, well, I can't co-parent with the other parent because they are narcissists, they're borderline, they're fill in the blank. Then that becomes kind of, well, I need the courts to solve this because the other person you cannot co-parent with. When in reality, it is very hard to co-parent with somebody who has underlying childhood trauma. And let's not forget, someone suffering from narcissism or borderline has a trauma that hasn't been treated. And these people don't respond to therapy. But with good guidance, good mediation, and a very clear agreement with very clear consequences, there can be, it's difficult, but difficult is different than impossible, a co-parenting or parallel parenting relationship. And if the skills are more focused on 
how can we make this happen or how can we get to some sort of agreement as opposed to proving how unfit the other parent is, there would be more results. And and I also tell people too, even if you do go to court and decide to go to court or have to go to court, a lot of people also say, and sometimes it's true, well, I have to go because the other person's filing. Do you have a plan B, C, D, E? Right. So most people, they put all the yep. baskets and eggs in the court basket. And a lot of times court may win in your favor. It may not. What are the other things you're doing while the court case goes on or in case you don't win? What's your plan? Sometimes they even ask people, well, what is your plan? And we've seen this in the film. What's your plan if the kid, if your kid knocks on your door? And some people get so obsessed with this idea of how to get the kid to knock on the door. They never think about what are they going to say when the kid knocks on the door? When it happens. Yeah. Or then they come back and they're traumatized. They have a hard time loving and trusting you. They've been told all these lies. How are you going to rebuild that relationship? And I know right now when I'm saying this, a lot of people listening are probably saying, well, this is so unfair. I didn't choose this. Why aren't you talking to the person who's doing all this? And the reason why Susan and I are talking to you today is because the other person probably isn't listening to this podcast because they don't see that there's a problem. And it is very unfair that a person who becomes a victim then often has the responsibility to try to resolve this. And a lot of times it's learning new ways to communicate and new skills. And what we saw, you know, in the film, A Racing Family that I directed, there is one case where a dad, he posts something on social media, which I will say, as far as social media posts go, this was by far not the worst at all. Yeah, no. But then wasn't. one of his daughters who's alienated, the other has reunited, uses that post as the perfect proof as to why she will never talk to him ever again. And it was not a post out of love. It was a post out of anger. So one thing, uh, and here's here's a great tip that anyone can do, and it's completely free is on social media, make posts about, it doesn't have to be that you miss your kid and how much you're hurting, but just happy posts. It can be photos from the past. It can say like, can't wait to see you. You can even talk about how you dislike how the court system works, but not blaming the other parent, calling the names. Uh, and a lot of parents are shocked when I tell them this, but you've probably seen this in cases too. Uh, everyone can look at your social media profile, including judges and mediators and custody evaluators, uh, but also kids know more about social media than you do. And yes, they know how to create fake profiles. And even if they say that they hate you, never want to see you, they are following you somehow on social media. Yeah. So you had two points. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, and I think that's actually a really significant um, factor that I've never heard put out there anywhere else Mm -hmm. when it comes to this particular issue. Mm -hmm. But if you cannot connect with your children in any other way, if the if you are being somehow blocked from communicating with them, we have this opportunity to connect with the children through social media because that's where they are. And so you're right. I, I noticed um, or I note putting angry posts out there about your ex and what they're doing in your opinion of it is actually probably just continuing to drive that wedge. When you're bad-mouthing the parent, their other parent, you're not really helping. But letting them know that you think of them and that, you know, because how many clients, well, I you, yeah. you don't have clients, but you have people who have reached out to you. How many times have you heard people say, well, I've always sent, every year I send a Christmas card and I send a, a, a birthday cards and I send a present. I don't know if they're ever getting to them. Often they're not. 
But if you're posting happy birthday on social media or Merry Christmas, here's a picture from the last time I saw you at Christmas or whatever the holiday might be, that's a way you might be connecting. Exactly. Um, I also know that while there are cases where there is no contact and parents can't reach their kids, parents do reach out to me. I do these Facebook lives and and give tips in addition to the film. I also have begun coaching uh, parents. So I do work with them one-on-one. A lot of them have some sort of contact. They might be blocked for a while, then unblocked. It may be very irregular or their messages aren't responded to. But I would say about 75%, there is some form of communication there. It's just very limited. It's not what they want. So there's a few ways also, if you can't get gifts to the house, but you can text and they're older, can you send a e-gift card? Especially then there's no proof of you. And then, um, you know, there's no proof of the gift going to the house. I would always say send gifts, be engaged take a photo so you have some proof that it was sent. So in the future, you can talk to them and show them this. But there's also, it's good to have proof so you can show them. But also you can't just do it for the proof. Because a lot of parents in this situation, they're so concerned about proving stuff. And sometimes they forget just to be there for their kids in, in, in some sort of way which is also if you are texting with your kid or they, you have some sort of contact on social media, instead of, I miss you, I'm proud of you. Instead of, why don't you talk to me? I'm here for you. I love you. So you can't say I love you, but to keep it light. And I was coaching with a, um, a mother whose daughter does text her, but doesn't respond a lot of times. Every once in a while, I'll respond. And she keeps on saying, well, how can I get her to go to lunch with me? And she has no visitation anymore. She has no rights in the court, but they do live in the same town. I go, well, she knows she wants to see you want to see her, right? And she goes, yes. And she hasn't responded. Yes. So she probably feels pressure. But don't withdraw. Why don't you send her something fun? And the concept, because she's in so much pain, was so foreign to her. But I said, look, she's 16. Ask her about Kim Kardashian, Pete Davidson, or Phil and whoever's celebrity profile. You'd be like, I don't know what's going on. It's a divorce case. Maybe she knows something about this or some funny memes or funny videos or good memories. Um, if you have photos when they were younger, something fun. And just reminding them, you know, I had a teacher like, well, think about a friend. Sometimes you just send them a video or a link. And it's not about parental alienation or divorce or trauma. It's I found this funny cat video. And then, and then your child's like, oh, that's funny. And there's nothing required of them, you know, or saying, you know, you got this or, um, you know, have a great last month at school. And it is sad that these relationships, sometimes that's all the connection you have. I don't want to say, you know, just be happy about it, but also it gives, and especially as kids get older, unfortunately, they're the ones who are going to decide if they want a relationship with you. And even in in families where there is no alienation or estrangement in fully con- fully intact families, we all know, and probably a lot of us people listening say, you know, you have that mom or dad who says, why don't you call? Yes. Why don't you call? <laughs> and then you call because you're being guilt tripped. You call, you're looking at your watch, you're Facebooking while you're talking. You can't wait to get off. Is that the relationship you want? Or is it something where they see, because when 
when a parent is blocking the relationship, they're teaching the child conditional love. You need to get with my program or our new family, go block the other person, dislike them, say mean things to them, and you'll be rewarded. And if you don't do that, you'll be punished. You're out of the family like that, like from meet the in-laws or that movie with Ben Stiller is like, you're out of the circle of trust. Like it's literally, you're out of the circle of trust. So you as the other parent, your responsibility or your purpose or vocation or divine calling, however you want to call it, is to teach the child unconditional love. And part of that is also being happy. And we also see this in the film, A Racing Family. Brian, he aligns more with the stepmother. He does reunite with his mother, Caroline. And a lot of people who watch the film, you know, when they see that, when they see this, they, they notice that Karen, the stepmother seems a little manipulative to put it lightly. And she adopts him and says, look at the birth certificate. I'm on your birth certificate. It's like everything else did never happen. And a lot of people are like, well, how can you not see this? And one thing that people forget is that people who tend to, let's say manipulate, cause I don't want to diagnose from afar, not always, but they can also be very upbeat, very fun, very energetic. And if you are the parent who always comes saying, let's discuss why you don't want to see me. I'm so sad. I'm so hurt. And this is horribly unfair because you have been traumatized, not listened to, not supported by um, people who maybe should help. You feel like a lot of shame. So this is very unfair. But then the child might say, well, do I want to go with the fun parent whose love is conditional? They might know in the background that's not the best or the really sad parent who's going to cry and just beg me to be with them and doesn't and wants to talk about what's going wrong and go to therapy. And a lot of kids will choose the more fun situation. And I also know a woman who was totally blocked from her mother, found her mother, traveled cross country to find her mother. And then she told me when I found my mother, she was so broken from all of this. I decided that I'll stay in touch with her, but I can't really have a relationship with her. This is a woman who's now in her late fifties. She's not dependent on her father who did the alienation, but she decided, I don't want to be with somebody who's so sad. So for parents going through this self-care and leading your best life, it's not a luxury. It is vitally important because that was what's going to bring your kids back to you. And we see in the film, um, Dizzy and Ashlyn, who are two of the main characters in the Erasing Family documentary, Ashlyn finds this unconditional love with her dad. And I've kept in touch with them. And I also did a video about how they actually reunited with the one daughter who wouldn't talk to him in the film years later. And he also said, I reunited with the daughter who didn't want to reunite with me when I let the anger go. I used to be so angry at the system, at my ex-wife. And when I learned to let that go, his daughter, who he had no hope he would ever talk to, he really had no hope in the film. She goes on camera saying, I don't have a dad. He's just blood and DNA. She says this. I offered everyone in the film, I said, because I want to get them together. I'm like, I will pay for everyone to go to Disneyland if if I can film you all together. And they all turned me down. (laughs) They're like, no free trip to Disneyland. (laughs) Right. And then when the dad resolves the anger, out of nowhere, they reunite. And it took some time. And it was two years after the film. So there's hope for everybody, but he really says that was the key factor was his own internal work of not blaming himself, but just being like, it is what it is. This shouldn't have happened. And I just, I don't want to prove to my daughters that I was the victim. I just want to be there as dad. 
Right. It's not retrying the case with your kids. Cause that's the other thing parents want to do. They say, I'm going to court and giving me all you've seen this. You're, you're not, you're, you're nodding your head. Oh yeah. For sure. I'm nodding my head. Cause yeah. this is I'm going to keep so all common. this paperwork. So when they're 18, they come to see me, I will spread out all the paperwork and they can see everything. And I'm always like, some kids want to see that and need to see that. And will request that some kids might ask to see that years after they reunite. And some kids might be, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't really care. Let's just focus on the future. Maybe it should be their decision whether they want to see all of that. Stay tuned for more from my chat with special guest, film director Ginger Gentile, who's here to shed some light and give some hope for those of you facing parental alienation. Working with someone, a coach, a consultant, a good therapist, who can create a strategy and a plan because most parents I talk to, they don't actually have a plan on how they can reunite, things they can try. And it might be an experiment process. And it's hard to say feel better, but it is important because this is a marathon, not a sprint. Your kids need to see you healthy and happy. Not that they want to, they need to, because they will reunite with a healthy and happy parent and they'll be attracted to that. If you are finding this episode to be helpful, please be sure to listen to episode 128 with special guest Dorsey Pruder of the Conscious Co-Parenting Institute entitled Parental Alienation Solutions That Work. You can find the link in the show notes or in the podcast archive. And now we return to today's show. talked earlier, um, and I think this is an important part I want to hone in on, is it's not just the plan A of how I'm going to reestablish contact. It is what are you going to do when you do that? And I think that's what we're talking or you're talking about here is not driving them further away. This is your opportunity. If the door even opens up that tiny crack, what are you going to do? And it shouldn't be it's all your other parents' fault. I tried so hard to see you. Let me show you the hundred ways I did. And I've been so broken and hurt and angry. You know, it's ruined my life. That's not the way, you know, the door's going to slam back shut again. Right. No one wants, no one wants a martyr for a parent. And sometimes parents have this notion of showing the whole court case, but they also try to do this, this proving with their kid as they talk. So the kid will say, you abandoned me and you never wanted to see me. And now the parents thinking, oh my God, I just spent $100,000 in court. I've been going to the pickups twice a week for three years and you're never there. And they say, that's not true. And they give proof. When a child is, or anyone is in a traumatic state, is angry or sad or feels like a victim, they're incapable of reason. Right. This is basic psychology. They're doing a lot of psychology and trauma. You know, Google this if you don't believe me. People are incapable of reason. Yes. So they need to feel safe and happy with you first, if ever they'll be reasoned with. And a lot of parents try to say, well, that's not true. This is what's going on, as opposed to just sitting there. And then they say, well, I don't want to apologize for something I didn't do. Because let's say, because some people are like, oh, just apologize. But yeah, if you've been going to these pickups for two years, twice a week, and they're never there, you shouldn't say, I'm sorry that I I abandoned you. But you can say, that must be really tough to feel like I wasn't there. What can I do to make that better? That must be really tough to have not had me as a parent there. What can I do to make it better? How can we move forward? Right. 
Um, so that's one thing too. And then the other thing is for parents to look for any way that they can maintain contact for in the U S because I know you have some international listeners, any parent, unless there's a specific court order has the right to school records, right? Yep. The right to attend parent teacher conferences. And if you can get involved in the school, because what a lot of parents do is they go to the school, they bring a, a book on parental alienation or narcissistic personality disorder. They try to speak to the counselor and explain what's going on. And especially if it's a public school, these schools are overwhelmed. And now you're bringing another problem there, which is very different from just politely showing up and saying, hi, I think there might've been some confusion. I'm not getting the emails. Um, here's the divorce decree or custody agree, whatever you need to prove that you're the parent. Um, I like to get the emails and the report cards and all of this, which they have to do by law. Mm -hmm. um, and if they don't, for some reason, then you can escalate, but just go and polite, but also by getting involved in the school and going as a volunteer, not with the goal to see your child, but just with the goal to build goodwill. to your, so your child, see so you're active in the community to be involved, to get to know the teachers, to get to know the sports coaches, I've seen this being a very effective way to reverse even severe cases of alienation. The parents who have done it have said, sometimes it takes a year. And if there's been rumors about you, you might have, it might be an uncomfortable first year. Right. Yes. But to show up, to get involved in the PTA, to donate money if you can, and then your kid just sees you there. You don't run over to your kid and say, I need to hug you, but you're just kind of there. It gives them this space. And then people begin in the school to like you. You're the person who brings in the cupcakes or the snacks or, or, or whatever. And you're just doing that just to support the community as opposed to desperately trying to see your child. They will also then feel more comfortable with you and also can become a safe space that you're now in control of, not the other parent. But because you're not negotiating with them to see the child at school, it might fly under their radar a little bit. And, uh, and so many parents I talk to they will tell me that they, they've never gone to the school. They don't see the, the point in getting involved. Uh, but also, and the other thing to watch out for is just because, it, or giving up their parenting time because the child says they don't want to. And their skills that can be learned is maybe too much for this podcast, but I work with a lot of clients to teach them new skills. And there's a lot of other coaches out there that do this to diffuse a situation and make it positive. But once you walk away from the parenting time, and this is very unfair and very cruel, it's very hard to get it back through the courts. It is. Because then yeah, the courts absolutely. say you, you abandoned, you yeah. weren't making an effort. So it's very important to go, even if that parenting time doesn't happen or it's very tense. But also if it's very tense, sometimes the child has to put on a show. Sometimes the child will then calm down and there's techniques and it's very hard. I don't want to say this is easy. But the moment you say the child doesn't want to see me, so I'm not going to be there. Well, now the child's in charge. And the attitude is like, yeah, there's a lot of things we don't have to do in life. How can we make this visit fun? Because we're stuck with each other for the next five hours. So, right. and, and a lot of parents often say it, it can also be, um, I know a mother who's going through this right now. Her thing is that when the kids get home to her house and they're being alienated and they're very angry at her for the first hour or two. She lets them be compressed and doesn't put any pressure on them, but she has an activity for them to do right away and just distracts them and they're younger. And this works well with younger kids, whether it's coloring in the house, but just so you're not like, well, let's talk about the feelings. It's just like, oh, we're going to color. Oh, we're going to the park. Oh, we're going to do this. And she's like, honestly, as a mom, I'd prefer to have more of a routine 
But as a mom was being alienated, if I keep them busy and fun, they snap out of it quicker and it doesn't become this whole sad situation where we're fighting. So to try different things with your kids to distract them, again, this is very hard. This isn't fair, but you can only control your behavior and how you show up because the other parent, you know, if, if, if they want to alienate you, like they're, that's the other thing too. They're never going to realize they might stop because they're prevented from it or they realize they can, or there's too many consequences, but they're never going to have this aha moment of realizing. And people try to say, what can I say to get through to them? I'm like, nothing. Please stop trying. You're only making it more difficult for yourself and for your kids. Uh-huh. And, and that's true, right? That's um, Bill Eddy, who's, right. you know, everything about, uh, high conflict cases, one of his top four, forget about it, don't ever do this, is try to give insight to um, the person with the high conflict personality, because that's not ever going to change it. And I love all these tips that you're giving, Ginger, because they are all very focused on what you can do. And and, And many of them may feel to people who are listening like baby steps or, and and you said this, not fair. It's not fair no. that I have to do this. It isn't. You're not saying this is fair, but it's you awful. are saying it's effective. Right. This is awful. This is horrible. Not every step works. And, and there's no magic solution or magic phrase. And a lot of parents come to me, they say like, what's the text I can send? And it's yeah. like, there's re- it's repeatedly showing up, showing unconditional love. Sometimes what it also means is you show this for years and then the child realizes this when they're 25 or 30. That unfortunately can happen. Um, but then at the very least, they have these good memories and they will eventually figure it out. Sometimes kids need an external factor. Sometimes it's a psychologist saying, hey, you need to talk to your dad. Sometimes it's a boyfriend. Yeah. Says, I'm not going to date a girl who doesn't talk to her dad. That's That happens a lot. And some of these cases are really hard. But also by surrounding yourself by success stories, I think it can be very helpful because sometimes you go online, you hear all these horror stories and you hear about all the negative effects about parental alienation. And it's like, it's also good to look at the stories of people like, hey, we're united after 10 years. Hey, we're united after 20 years. The other thing I will say though about the courts, just as a, as, as a caveat, if you catch this in month one to five, when there's refuse and resist and you have good documentation, that is when courts can be the most effective. The problem is parents tend to not know what's going on because a lot of people don't know about this. They think they're the only people or it's very odd or it'll just get better on its own. And then they try to go to court five to 10 years later. Right. And that's not impossible, but that is super difficult. Whereas if it's, if you, you have, let's say like joint custody, and there's been two weeks where you haven't gotten to see your kids and you're not getting phone calls. That is the time when court can be effective, but also go in with very clear, there's a violation of the order, not I want to psych eval and all this other stuff and trying to use the courts as you know, therapy or to be proven right. And to also show some flexibility too. And it's unfortunate, but it might mean giving up a little to gain more. And then whatever you have to do to see your kids, if it is bad, do it. Cause I've also talked to some parents who have said, well, they wanted me to do X, Y, Z and I refused. And now I'm not seeing my kids and it is unfair. Sometimes you have to jump through hoops. It is super unfair, but 
maybe that's worth it in the end. Um, it's, and every parent has to evaluate that. But, you know, I talked to so many parents who are unfortunately on year 5, 10, 15, 20 of no contact. And they would say what I would give for a supervised visit, what I'd give for an angry text from my kid, what I'd give to be yelled at. I remember one dad, he got sued by his daughter and he was so happy because he said she contacted me and he actually celebrated and they reunited because yeah. the, the lawsuit was an excuse for her to contact him. Well, and it opened the, the gate to it opened the communication. The door. Yeah. So, so, that's so, important. so take what you can. So, cause you know, you don't want to be in 20 years trying to figure this out when there was stuff you could have done in the first few months and the longer this goes, the worse, the worse it gets. So, so take, so take what you can and an okay agreement is better than no agreement. Yeah. Oh, one, I mean, first rule yeah. of mediation, right? Can you live with it? It's not about perfection. It's not about getting everything that you want. It's getting about what you can live with. But I think your point, I really want people to hear this if they're in the divorce process, or as you I think importantly pointed out earlier, many times the alienation or estrangement situation arises post-dissolution, post the divorce, and things go downhill. But it is nipping it in the bud, I call it, with clients. I've always cautioned clients in the 30 plus years of my career that when one parent or for whatever reason, they start straying from an established parenting plan and their parenting time is being cut off, you know, diminished, something's happening. That is when you deal with it, not give it a year or so, and then suddenly crop up. Because when you change the status quo of the parenting, courts have a, an inertia issue where they are loath to change the status quo. So even if your court order said this, but you're now a year or two down the road and you've now been doing something else for a long period of time, the courts will actually look at that as what the kids know and understand and is working right. for them. And you've created that situation. So I do think that's a very important And, note. and another thing too, if you're going through this um, and you're in the beginning, if you think there is a possibility this could happen and some of the key, I would say, warning signs are that the other partner or you as a child have experienced this a lot of blame for the situation or not, or if one party doesn't want the divorce, um, not acting rationally. So, so like a good test is, well, I'll settle the, let's just settle this and I'll give you a ton of money. And they don't take this good deal. For example, in those cases, I would say in any case, but especially in those cases where you see these warning signs, having agreement that's super clear, there can't be any leeway. If you get the if one party gets the kids for Christmas, when does Christmas start? And this yeah. seems kind of and if you have a good divorce, this is stupid. But does Christmas start Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. at 9 p.m. at midnight? Does it start at 9 a.m. on Christmas Day? 8 a.m. on Christmas Day? Does Christmas Day end at 8 p.m.? Does Christmas Day end at midnight? And because what people who are alienating do is they'll look for these gray areas and say, well, you can get them Christmas. But to me, that means 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. because that's Christmas Day and the sun begins to set at four and all this crazy stuff. So to make it super clear. And then if there's one thing you can get in any agreement, it's pick up drop offs at school or a third party location, Um, go to the other party's house. And I would say even if it's positive, the less contact you have at each other's home, the better. 
it's not necessary. It, it, it creates kind of this, it can create a weird situation. You don't know, you might be friends now. There might be a new spouse in the future. One parent drops off the kid at school. The other parent picks them up. That, that can also, uh, because then it gets, well, the kids don't want to get in the car. I'm not alienating. I can't get the kids in the car. I can't make them can't make get them. in the car. We and see you, that in your film, actually. Yeah. So we see that a lot. And that would be like the one, one thing, like, you know, no pickups at the house that the other parent is not responsible for picking them up and dropping them off. And then also the other thing too would be, and sometimes this is hard if you're, if you're really negotiating and you don't feel like you get a lot of parenting time, working out a schedule where there's less exchanges, especially for older kids, because the exchanges are the tense points and that's when things often go wrong and the kids can show up angry. So it might be better a week on week off than like, I see them Monday, Thursday, and then like Saturday for an hour. And like, so I right. see or a two, two, like five that. or all those things out there that people yeah. are thinking. Of. So, yeah. so if, the, if this is something that concerns you and you see the warning signs, it just to be super clear, the other parent is responsible for the parenting time. And then also, and, and, and this is what surprises people too. Courts are very reluctant to put in consequences. This is a good question for you, Susan. I don't know the answer to this. I know each state's different. Can you put an agreement, something like if one parent doesn't honor, honor the time, the other parent gets double the time back or something like that? Or is that not permissible? Well, because you, the courts are and parenting plans are governed by what's in the children's best interests, right. a judge likely would not approve that because we don't know de facto doubling the time would be in the children's best interests. Um, if we've had an ongoing situation where one parent has been interfering right. with the other parent's parenting time, and then the court felt that instituting some, you know, clause, sp- we call them springing clauses, something that, you know, one parent does and it, sp- it springs into action a new clause. Um, yeah, you could see that, but I doubt you would see it at the very beginning. But the reality is, you know, the problem with parenting is if everything was black and white, then it would be really easy to go in front of a court and and get a judge to see everything your way, right? Because it's all black or it's all white. But unfortunately, a spin can be put on almost anything. There's different interpretations of almost anything. You've already alluded to a big issue for parents in court is the rules of evidence, which may not allow perfectly good evidence in, but you didn't get it in the right way or you're not submitting it in the right way. So it's not getting in front of the court in the first place. I mean, court is really a, a, a place of last resort when it comes to trying to effectuate good parenting or a parenting situation. And I really find it very important what you say about really taking the your role in the equation and making changes where you have that control. And one of the things I want to point out here is, you know, watching the film learning from that, reaching out to you for coaching. You mentioned your Facebook group. Um, I don't want to leave this episode without telling people about all of these resources, because as much as you and I could talk about this for hours, um, we're never going to get the help across to people that they can get in individual one-on-one and by finding the right resources out there, which I just want to caution people going onto a Reddit board or or getting into a group of people all complaining about what's happened to them is not necessarily the place to get help because 
you're just reinforcing that upset and that anger where what you need to go is to someone who can tell you how to make those changes like you. Yeah. So I think it's very important to get information, especially in the beginning. At some point you can have too much information. I know a lot of parents who've read every book, attended every webinar, and it just can make them get depressed when what you really need is an energy shift um, and to have a strategy. And I have really seen that working with someone, a coach, a consultant, a good therapist who can create a strategy and a plan. Because most parents who I talk to, they don't actually have a plan on how they can reunite, things they can try. Things, and it might be an experiment process, mm-hmm. right? So um, the first off I would say for people to do is go to erasingfamily.org or just Google Erasing Family. And you can watch the film for free on YouTube. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. And then on our website, we have a text line, 865-4FAMILY, where you can text. And we did text so kids can use it too. And you'll talk with a real person who can give you resources and emotional support. And on the website, we have a ton of resources to help. And we're always getting new resources. There's also resources for professionals. We have a bill of rights for kids from divorced, separated, never married home, which we also think would be great if schools could start posting it. If people ask, well, what can I do? Have a screening of the film in your community. It's free. Invite local professionals to come to have a talk. And you can do this in a library. You can even do this in your school or your kid's school. Do it after school. Get some pizza. So it's not an official event. It's open to the community. Um, Law schools, that's something that you can do and and have the Bill of Rights posted. Um, We also have like about 30,000 followers on Facebook. I do Facebook Lives occasionally. And on our YouTube channel, you can find the videos that I did with, you know, Ashley and her dad who have reunited, other parents who have reunited, other experts, and just me giving some tips. And if people want to work with me one-on-one as a coach and consultant, they can, again, I'm very Googleable on purpose. They go to gingergenteel.com slash consulting. And there's also links on the erasingfamily.org website. And I work with people who are reuniting with adult kids or who are going through whose kids are still under 18, but it's working on ways to communicate more effectively with them or if they're going through a court case to manage the stress and still find other ways where they're not dependent on the courts to reunite and to feel better about what's going on. And it's hard to say feel better, but it is important because this is a marathon, not a sprint. Your kids need to see you healthy and happy. Not that they want to, they need to, because they will reunite with a healthy and happy parent um, and they'll be attracted to that. So you always have to be the parent that they want to see you, which is might be the biggest challenge of your life to go through a stressful, traumatic situation and still be healthy and happy enough so your kids attract back. And then one last thing, again, clean up your social media timeline. Use that. That's a free tool everybody has to have positive things. You can talk about how rough it is not seeing your kids, but always in that you, you're hopeful that you love them and not blaming the other parent. And there's no such thing as privacy on the internet, even a private Facebook group. People can screenshot stuff. Your kids can be on it. Your ex can be on it. We've heard all kinds of stories of that. And so there's always cautions, but I love that what you're in, in really one of the deepest, darkest 
areas of family law. This is really, you know, I've been involved in these cases over my career. They are heartbreaking um, because I see the effect on the parent. I've had those parents as clients. Um, I've had the children as clients. I have been involved in all kinds of different ways in these, and they are utterly heartbreaking. Um, and what you what you and the film and hopefully this episode are doing is shining some light that there is hope. There are things you can do to focus on yourself to hopefully, you know, be moving in that more positive direction. So I encourage you all to reach out to the resources that Ginger has mentioned, to reach out to her as a resource. As she mentioned, she does coaching and consulting. And honestly, it is that work that you're going to do yourself that is hopefully going to lead you back to your children or lead your children back to you if you are in this situation. So Ginger, thank you so much for everything that you're doing in this space, because it's really a, a place that we need this light to be shown. And, uh, you know, there's very little out there that gives parents hope and families hope to be, I don't know, can we say unerased? <laughs> so yes, thank you. Unerased, yes. And, and also always think I'm one day close to reuniting. I'm going to be the exception to the rule. I would say a lot of people reunite, but you can even think like that. My kids are going to be okay. My kids will get on the other side. We will recover from this. And just thinking like that and then thinking about, and also the less stressed you are, and this is what's hard about trauma and stress, the more solutions you see. So thank you so much for having me on Susan and for all the work you're doing in talking to professionals and parents to try to make this awful process, not as awful. It's my sole goal and, <laughs> and the reason why I do the podcast. And I'm always, always blessed to have people like you on. So thank you so much, Ginger. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.